Acts chapter 26. Father, we come before you and Lord, we want to be transformed. We want to be transformed by your word. We want to be transformed by your spirit. We want the old life to go away, the new life to thrive. And Lord, that leads us to the cross. Your word says, um, that if any man come after me, let him first deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. And Lord, we know that word deny means to totally, absolutely disassociate ourselves with our old self. It means to deny and to totally identify with you. And so, Lord, whatever is not uh, crucified, whatever is not identified this morning, Lord, whatever is the thorn in our life that chokes out the life, whatever is the um, care of the world or the sunshine or the enemy, Lord, we ask that by your Spirit you be gracious to us and help us to receive spiritual food this morning that we might grow into the kids that would bring you glory more and more every day. That we would look like Jesus and talk like Jesus and think like Jesus and love like Jesus. And so, Lord, just help us, your little sheep here in this place. And we ask this all in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Paul has been a prisoner for uh, uh, over two years in Caesarea. He's brought before King Agrippa. Let's start reading in chapter 26, verse 1. <clears throat> Agrippa is the king of the, of the whole area there. He's under Roman rule. Uh, Paul has already talked to Festus, who was the local governor. And so he's moving up the appeals chain all the way to Rome. We only got two chapters or three chapters left. And we'll be in Rome at which point we'll break off and start teaching all the letters that he wrote from Rome. And so uh, it says in ch chapter 26, verse 1, it says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. This is after he had all the accusations brought against him. And so Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate stand, to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the other accusations, all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. So King Agrippa was a Jew. If you remember his father, uh, King Agrippa I, he's the one who uh, went ahead and, and uh, basically mocked Jesus, put the robe on him, all those types of things. He also died later. Uh, right outside there. So he was a Jew. He's well acquainted. And so Paul's saying, I'm, I'm happy I'm talking to a Jew. Verse 3, and especially so because you're well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also from uh, and also in Jerusalem. Sorry, everybody. Something's going on here. It's not screwed in all the way. They have made me known, verse 5, for a long, uh, they have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise of our 12 tribes that are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because... Uh, 
It is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? And so Paul is talking about the resurrection of the dead. That's why he's on trial. He goes, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they, had put, they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting him that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Verse 12, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Jesus, uh, Saul's name got changed to Paul, or that was his Gentile name. It is, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. The Lord replied, now get up, stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins a place among, and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. And so uh, in the opening verses of chapter 26, which we touched on last week, what we just read uh, in is, is a given, uh, Paul is given this opportunity to make his defense, and he's brought before King Agrippa in Caesarea. And as we discussed last week, Paul's main defense uh, is that he is on trial because of the resurrection of the dead. And that doesn't really connect at first as you're reading that. What do you mean by that, Paul? And so he has to explain. And Paul's main defense is that Jesus Christ was the Messiah that the law and the prophets, these Jewish guys are coming against me. They're all saying, we're going, I'm going against that. No, Jesus Christ is the Messiah they're all talking about and that he was crucified and he rose again on the third day. And the proof that of his resurrection is what happened to me. That's what he's getting at. I was totally 100% anti-Christ, and Jesus met me and changed me. He knocked me off my horse. He changed me. Look at me. Why would I be doing what I'm doing? What a powerful testimony. So Paul is giving his testimony. Paul says at one time he vehemently persecuted those who followed Jesus, even killing them, voting for their death, separating families, taking all their possessions. That's the way he was going. He was zealously against Jesus Christ. He was like the Jews who were bringing the charge against him. Until the resurrected, living Jesus Christ appeared to Paul as Paul was on his way to persecute Christians in Damascus. And Jesus appeared and he changed his life. Amen. He appeared brighter than the sun. That's like 10,000 suns, I think, in Greek. I'm not sure what it is. It's something like that. Blazing suns. 
Paul fell to his feet as we, as we read in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, when, he, when we first read this account. So he sees Jesus, the risen Jesus. He falls to his feet, which is the proper response. And Paul hears Jesus speak to him. The word of God came to Paul, and Jesus started asking Paul why he was doing what he was doing, why he was persecuting Jesus. And he let Paul know that he was on a losing team and that resisting Jesus would only make it more difficult. Why are you kicking against the goats? And, and then in verse 16, it says that Jesus stood Paul on his feet. He said, stand up. Stand up, Paul. You know, Jesus is faithful to lift, lift up those who are humble. Do you know that? He's faithful to lift up those who are humble. And then Jesus gave Paul purpose. He gave him a calling and a mission. So just a real quick thought here. Jesus saves us to send us. Do you know that? He saves us to send us. We are shown mercy so that we can what? Show mercy. We are forgiven so that we can forgive. We are shown love so that we love We're given the gospel so that we give the gospel. Amen? God saves us, he sets us, and he sends us. He saves us, he sets us, and he sends us. That's what he does. What does he send us to do? He sends us to save, to set, and to send. To save, and to set, and to send. To save, and to set, and to send. That is his plan. I love that about the Lord. Really quickly, once again, notice all the eyes from Jesus. I am Jesus. I have appeared. I will rescue. I'm sending you. Get, who's in charge here? Just want to clarify that. Is Paul calling the shots? See, it was the chief priests who were calling the shots, who were telling them where to go, what to do, and how to persecute. Guess what happened? Had a management change. CEO of the earth came in said, you, with me, you're going here to do this. Would you do that with this guy? I wouldn't, in all my glorious wisdom. Aren't you glad he did? (laughs) Thank you. That means... You can use me. That means you can be merciful to me. How gracious is our God. Boy, Jesus is awesome. Chief priests are no longer in charge. Jesus is. I love that about Jesus. And Jesus' purpose for Paul was that he would be a servant and a witness. Notice Paul didn't say what he would do and wouldn't do. Jesus said, you are a servant and you are a witness for me. That is who you are. That is what I've made you to be. Any of you are are great at designing and creating things? I know we have some engineers in the room and and people who like to create art and all that type of stuff. You have something in your heart, in your mind, that it started in your thinking, in your mind, and then it starts to be expressed actually in the material world, correct? To serve a function and a purpose. And that function and that purpose is to bring you joy and glory for your purposes, right? 
in the same way, we're created in the image of God who created us and formed us for his purposes and his glory in Christ Jesus before the foundations of the earth. We won't get in there right now. But right now, he, 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 he took Paul. He said, I have appeared to you and you will be my servant and this is where you go and this is what you do. Now, I don't know about you, but that kind of, that kind of ruins my kingdom a little bit. Kind of jumps into to my thing. And this is why Jesus says you must deny yourself. You must abandon yourself. Your dreams, your hopes, your aspirations, all the things that you want and desire and have from marriage to kids to, to, to job to all these things, you say, I, I, I give all that I am for all that you are. And if you want to direct that and guide that, then you will. And here's the great thing when you lay down your life before the Lord is he actually gives you life, true life, and fulfillment and all those things. Yeah, of course, his will. It's about his kingdom. And I think we do a disservice when we say give, give your life to Christ and, it, and it'll, uh, it'll all be hunky-dory. Give your life to Christ so that your plans can be fulfilled. That's a lie. He never promised any of that. He actually promised suffering. And he promised eternal life. So how thin is that gate in that road? How narrow is the path? What is the gospel we preach? Now he let Paul know that he was on a losing team and, come, and, and, and I am making you on the winning team and Jesus was fully in charge. And so we're to be servants and we're to be witnesses of Jesus, right? Just like Paul, that's not something just for Paul. We're to be servants and witnesses. We, are to, we were saved to serve Jesus and to witness of Jesus. And we serve them by loving one another and secondly, by being his witnesses to the lost world around us, right? Jesus keeps it pretty simple. And Paul was appointed by Jesus to go and be a witness and to serve. And Paul was opposed by the people that were just like he was. And Paul needed to know that Jesus would be his rescuer. He would be his rescuer. You know, when Jesus saves us, he often sends us into difficult circumstances, back into your family. Oh, my gosh. How do you like that? That's a difficult, anybody have a difficult mission field in your family? How many of you were kind of dark and shady at one time? Any of you? Just a couple of you. Most of you were saints your whole life. I know it. But Paul needed to know up front that Jesus would rescue him from those who would oppose him. That's the devil, the demons, and those who do not know Jesus who are under his control by default. And so too, when we follow Jesus, we experience persecution because we're now shining his light in darkness. We're engaging in warfare, and we're about to read that. But Jesus was Paul's security and safety. Jesus is your security and your safety. You can go anywhere on the earth that he sends you knowing that he is with you. That's very freeing. Jesus has a specific plan for Paul's life, and that was to be a witness to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, also to his people, which he was, right? But mainly to the Jews. Peter was mostly to the uh, I'm sorry, Paul mostly to the Gentiles. Peter was mostly to the Lord's people. But Jesus had a specific plan for Paul's life, and that was a witness to the Gentiles. And he says in verse 18 of what that entails. What does it mean to be a witness? 
What does it mean to be a witness? Here's a great definition. It's a great description of what the church is called to, what we are called to, what our mission is in witnessing to the world. Jesus appeared to Paul and appointed him to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. Praise the Lord. That's the business we're in. Opening people's eyes, turning them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. God, in his sovereign will, decides that he exercises his power to do that through the church. Do you know that? That's, that's us. We are conduits of that power to do that. We're responsible before the Lord to share that. We're witnesses of Jesus Christ. We know that it's not us, right? We know that it's not us. But God, in us, the hope of glory as he uses these earthen vessels, these broken people, to display his grace and his love. Praise the Lord. Jesus calls the church to be a witness. And a witness is taking people who are in darkness to light and who were blind and making them see and from the power of Satan to the power of God. If you look at this verse, it's saying that Paul's target audience is blind in darkness and under the power of Satan. I'm sending you to people who do not see, who cannot see, and who are under incredible oppression by a power that you cannot overcome in yourself. That's our target audience. Did you know that? How many of you know some spiritually blind people who are in total darkness under the power of Satan? And how many know it's like 31 flavors of different varies of that? You know what I mean? Sometimes it's just darkness you know, sometimes it's flat out moral darkness and sometimes it's very subtle. They're, good people are hard to reach. Amen? Good people don't make it. Only righteous people by the blood of Jesus. But if you look at this verse, in this target, blind, in darkness, under the power of Satan, this is what the Bible calls lost. Lost. And it also has another word for it, dead. Dead and lost. That's what, that's what God's perspective of those people are. And guess what the Bible says who those people are? All. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the glorious thing about it is that God desires to target the, the people who are bl spiritually blind, who are in darkness and under the power of Satan. He is in the business of going after those people and bringing light into their lives. Praise the Lord. Amen. What a great calling. Way to be a, don't you want to be a part of that? I do. I am. We are. Amen. And so without Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in a person's life, they're blind, they're in darkness, they're under the power of Satan. Another definition, of course, is spiritually dead. We read that in Ephesians. 
The fact, chapter 1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world under the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's Satan, and the spirit who now works in those who are disobedient, so are disobedient to God. You see, we're dark and we're blind and all that stuff. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following after its desires and thoughts. And so we were just enjoying reality TV with no problem in our heart. We were sleeping around, we were smoking and cracking, all that stuff. Whatever it was, we were lying and scheming and had incredible pride in our lives. Whatever, I mean, just the 31 flavors of darkness, right? Seriously. Like the rest, we were all by nature deserving wrath. That's our natural position before God, deserving wrath. All fallen. We know this. And this is what a person is by nature, spiritually lost, spiritually dead, blind, no capacity to respond to God. You put a dead person on here and you start talking to him. Guess what they're going to do? Nothing. And God, a spiritually dead person does not have the ability to respond to God apart from the grace of God. Dead is dead. And this is where Paul comes in. That's where the church comes in. That's where you come in, where I come in. Amen? With the light and the life of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.4 goes on after he talks about how dead we were. He says, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive in Christ, even when we are dead in our transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Who makes people alive? God. Why does he do it? Because he's merciful and because he's gracious by nature. That's who he is. He makes dead people alive. That's what he does. Did you know that? That's your Jesus. It's by grace we've been saved. You see, Jesus was alive. He gave Paul his life and he sends Paul to give that life to others. See how that works? Life begets life. Life begets life. Spiritual life begets spiritual life. We have a lie in thinking in our natural world that life came from nothing. No, life came from God who was alive and always has been alive. He is life. Amen? Jesus desires to give spiritually dead people life, and Jesus wants to open eyes to turn the light on and to move people under the power of God. Why? So that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith and needs. Jesus says, in other words, I want you to be a part of my family. That's his nature. I want to adopt you from that pit of death. I want to put you in the king's palace. Why? Because I love you. That's grace. It's his good pleasure. Life begets life. And this is important. Jesus' plan was and is to use a person who was once blind, once in darkness, and under the power of Satan, after they've been given sight, been brought into the light, and brought under the power of God. Jesus wants to take those people, anybody in here meet that description? Like Paul, like you, like me, who have been given life to testify of the risen living Jesus so that the dead, deaf, blind, and oppressed all around us can have spiritual sight and walk in the light of God and be filled and influenced by the power of God. That's what God wants to do with us. 
with every single one of us without exception. Life begets life. If you don't have life, you're not going to give life. Amen? But if you have the life of Christ in you, guess what? You will give it. And that fruit of that is up to God. Amen? And that's what God wants to do with us. You know, just, just to think, and, and I know that it's not really healthy to dwell on the things we've done in our past, but just to think that we were enemies of God and we were totally oblivious to him. We were going the exact opposite way we should have gone. Everything we were doing was against what he stood for. And he reached in and he met us and he saved us. He set us on our feet. He makes us a son, a daughter of God. He sets us at his, at his table. And then he sends us out to go do the same in others. Man, that's just, that's just amazing. I love that. He has been forgiven much, loves much. And we are set apart from the world and are now his, praise the Lord, recalled to serve and to witness. And Paul's saying, in effect, to King Agrippa, King Agrippa, I'm on trial because Jesus is alive. I'm on trial because he changed me. I'm on trial because I'm his witness, because he spoke to me, because he changed me. If he was dead, this would not be happening. I would still be persecuting the church. But I am, he's alive and I am changed. Can you see that, Agrippa? That is Jesus alive in me. That's the risen Jesus. And King uh, Jesus appeared to me, saved me, and he set me on his feet, and he sent me, verse 19, And so, Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, and then those who were in Jerusalem and all Judea, uh, Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their, what? Deeds. So he preached that what should happen? They should repent, which is to turn away from their sin and turn towards God. And the way that we demonstrate that we have done that is by how you now live. Make sense? So Paul says he was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. Boy, some of us are disobedient, yourself included, have been, anyone? From the vision of he from heaven. The Lord met you. He saved you. He set you. He sent you. And then you decided to start to take up rule and ownership of your own life again. Anyone? You started to call the shots again, right? And, and how many of you are suffering from a lack of joy in your life? A lack of purpose and all those things because you are operating outside of his blessing in your life and what he's called you. Let me tell you, Paul had extreme joy in all that he suffered. Extreme joy because he was right where he was supposed to be. He wasn't saying it was easy. But he responded to the grace of God through obedience. Obedience to Jesus Christ is proof that a person is saved. That's proof. So this is really the heart of the book of James. If you, look, if you read the book of James, he's talking to a church that is not enduring trials. Instead of patiently persevering and asking God for things, 
They aren't. They're falling into temptation. And instead of loving one another, there's fighting and quarreling going on within the body. And he's saying, that's not obedience to Christ. Where did you learn that? Uh, People who were business owners were totally uh, ruining their slaves and all this type of stuff. He goes, where did you learn that? That's not the love of Christ. You know, these things were going on in the church. And so he's addressing and saying, saving faith looks like this. You know, when you come to Jesus, Jesus said, go make disciples, teaching them to what? Obey all that I've commanded you. Notice the New Testament is a lot of correction. It's a lot of teaching because how many of you just naturally know how to follow the Lord? Now, we're by nature children of wrath. And then Jesus comes in and he changes us. And now we've got this roommate who wants to grow in our lives. And we've got to learn how to let him. And, and then the old man goes away. And that's what it is to grow in Christ. More Jesus, less of Matt. Amen? Amen? Amen. Yeah, we want less of Matt. That's right. It's <laughs> trying to give you an out there. But obedience is proof of the faith. Loving one another, being around one another, developing a prayer life, being in the word and letting the word be in you, worship, witnessing, they're all evidences that you have faith, have repented and are saved. They're evidences. They do not save you. They're evidences. Correct? When a person lacks love in the fruit of the spirit, look out. When a person can live a life void of the word and prayer, look out. You have dusty Bibles. I'm concerned for you. Look out. When a person sees fellowship with the believers as an inconvenience or an option, look out. When a person refuses to serve, look out. When a person is saved, they're going to demonstrate the character and actions of Christ in their life as they grow in him, right? They're going, to, they're going to grow in that. They're not going to be Paul on day one. But there's going to be a growing in that in our lives, amen? amen. That's what we're looking for. Lord, grow us up. Life begets life. You know, we can only judge by the fruit we see. And Paul said, I wasn't disobedient. I didn't shrink back. The grace of God in Paul's life was without was not without effect paul said in first corinthians fifteen ten. and paul says to king agrippa i preached so that they should repent and turn to god and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds and so turning from sin turning to christ and living it out is what god is calling us to and so verse 21 that is why when he, he preached that some jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me but god has helped me to this very day and so i stand here and testify to small and great alike remember he's in front of the king and everybody who's who's someone or isn't is, is standing there right there in that palace and i am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and moses said would happen that the messiah would suffer as the, first, as the first rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. The message of light. The gospel to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. The message of light. That's what we have. John chapter 1 verse 9 beginning there. It says the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And through the, uh, I'm sorry, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. They did not see the light. Why didn't they see the light? Because they are blind and in darkness and under the power of Satan. 
But yet to all who did receive him, and that's not just the Jews, the Jews didn't recognize him, but now to all who did receive him, that's all of us, right? Amen. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor of a husband's will, but born of God. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of light. At this point, Paul's explaining all these things. And Festus, the governor, is kind of getting nervous because Paul's preaching the gospel to the king. And there's Jews in the room. There's just some tension going on. What does he do? Paul, uh, Festus interrupts Paul's defense. He says, you are out of your mind, Paul. He shouted, you are out of your mind, Paul. I mean, he's going for it, right? This is really crazy. And he goes, your great learning is driving you insane. You are nuts, Jesus freak. I get Festus. How many of you get Festus before you came to Christ? I get it that what we proclaim sounds crazy to the world. You know, the longer I walk with the Lord, the more I walk with him, the less I relate with the world I live in. The less I think like it, the less I enjoy it, the less this this bright sunny day looks bright and sunny to me. And just the darkness of the true reality of what this world is under, the curse that it's under is, is just there. And I long for a different place in my heart. It's not that I don't want to be with you. It's not that I don't want to be with my family and all that stuff. It's not that I want to die of cancer and all that stuff. I just, it's just not Disneyland anymore. How many of you have been to Disneyland? How many times can you go to Disneyland? before it loses its allure. Five times over there. Okay, we got some more. I grew up in Southern California. I went to Disneyland. And let me tell you, it's a small world kills you after a while. It does. It drives you insane. There's nothing new under the sun. I'm not not trying to be morbid, but, you know, I find that I don't have as much fulfillment in, 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 in looking, in, in, in possessions, like in a house or a car or in guitars or in music or vacations or in all that type of stuff. But I find more value in relationships and I found more, more value in, I just, I long for God. I long for his presence and for his kingdom and for my place with him and to make him known. Those are the things that rule my heart more and more and more. I'm just not satisfied. I was listening to a pastor who's doing really well. He grew up in Napa Valley, he and his wife. And you know, uh, they, they had houses, they flipped houses, they sold it in Napa Valley. You can make some money, right, flipping houses. And it just kind of came to a point where he's just going, you know what, if I'm not satisfied with this, where I am right now, I'm just never going to be satisfied. And he just said, I'm going back to church. And he ended up being a pastor. And God just used him mightily. Damien Kyle is, is his name. And I just, uh, you know, that's just kind of how it is. But the enemy wants to keep us hooked, and he keeps giving us new and shiny things just repackaged, doesn't he? Haven't you been around for a while, and you just see the hook? You see what's going on there. I'm sorry. Terry, can you turn on the other microphone, please? Away with you, Satan. (laughs) Look at it. This one's even messed up. All right. So... You know, I long for his presence. I, you know, and I find, you know, how, I, I know I speak Christianese sometimes, right? 
and I'll be talking about things, but that's just my world now. That's my world now. That's how I relate. I, and Paul says it, he, say, he says in, second, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, that is what we speak, not with words taught to us by human wisdom, but by words taught to us by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spiritual taught words. In other words, the things of the world don't relate to the things of the kingdom anymore. That's why Jesus said, it's like, it's like, it's like, but eventually you graduate to the word of God and what it says and its analogies in the Old Testament and all those things. And you just start speaking in life in these terms. And and, and, and Jesus in John 17, verse 16, speaking about his disciples said, they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. And Paul's standing in front of this king and, and, and the governor, and they're just not getting it. It doesn't make sense. And yet we see as Christians that it's totally logical what he's saying. There's two different languages going on. And, and, and Paul's relaying the most important truth at Agrippa and, 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 and Festus. And this whole crowd will ever hear. And they just think it's Babel and it's crazy. They're concerned with political things and all the, the ramifications. They just can't listen. They're blind. And, and in 1 Corinthians 1.18, Paul wrote, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Festus saw the power of God, but he couldn't recognize it. Have you ever had that happen to you? You came to the Lord and... You're to, you, were, you were at one time totally out of this world. You were in harmony with the world. You're doing everything the world does. You're just, you're just in sync with darkness. And then Jesus busted into your life and you fell flat on your face because you realized who you were and what that would do to you eternally. And his grace busted into your world and he forgave you and changed you and he picked you up and he set you on your feet and you went back into your family. You started shining and the beer cans came off the lawn. And that's my own thing. Uh, you know, I'm just saying, and, and you just were, a, you, the cussing you know, started to decrease and, and the life started to happen and, and people go, what happened to you? And you just start sharing Jesus with people. Jesus happened to me. I'm a new person. He came into my life and they're going, you are nuts. The drugs finally got to you and you're going, no, I'm not. I'm actually alive and you're dead. That's what happened. The light got flipped on. I'm alive. That's what Jesus does to men and women. And that's what he does to us, church. And that is what we do to the world. We are the light. We're looking at this world as darkness and going, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. No, we shine. We go forward in the power of Jesus Christ. We go preach the gospel in the darkness. We go kick down the doors when the Lord sends us things. We go and we reach out to our neighbors. We find those people that are in darkness and don't just go, oh, they're dark. They're in darkness. Ooh, get away from me. No, we go love them and we, and we share the Lord with them and we do whatever we can to infiltrate the darkness. That's what Jesus does. That's his nature. We're part of that. Expect them not to like it. Expect them to say you're crazy. Expect for at least a quarter of them for the gospel just to fall on ground that nothing ever happens. And even with those that it does, the fruit in, in our lives is different fold. Paul says, I'm not insane, most sexless Felix. Verse 25, let's get through this. <clears throat> what I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it is not done in a corner. 
All these things have happened in the open. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. And then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Or you have almost persuaded me to give him a Christian, some translations. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray that God, and that not only you, but all who are listening to me here today, may become what I am except for these chains. There comes a time when we are sharing Christ with people when we need to lead them to a decision. How awkward is that? It's like closing a sale, but it's glorious. There comes a time when you, when, you, when you go to someone, do you believe? I know you do, Agrippa. Come on. You see it all lining up. Do you believe? There comes a time when we have to, we laying out the gospel, we lay what Jesus has done to us uh, and, and what he's done and, and who he is. And, and, and we use our own lives sometimes as an illustration. We're leading him to the word. We're leading him to the truth that you must you don't know, you know where you're going. We lay out the bad news. And then we lay out the hope of Jesus Christ. We use our lives as an example. <coughs> Excuse me. But then we got to say, do you believe? There comes a time when we, we have to, we must point their hearts to a decision. And it's not up to us on how they respond. It's not. And by the way, we want to do this spirit-led, spirit-filled in his timing and his way and all that stuff. Notice he says what? Short or long? Sometimes you only have a plane flight with someone to share Jesus or a moment on the corner you hand him a track. But sometimes you, you develop relationships for years and, and, and that happens. And there's pitfalls in both. On one, you can be impersonal and, and, and come across like that. On the other half, you can never get around to sharing Christ with someone. So what's the answer? Method? The answer is preach him today. But the results are up to the Lord. In season and out, be ready. For some people, it might be a long time uh, relationship. For some people, it might be you've got to do it today. There's an urgency in your heart. You know it. Be spirit-led. Be spirit-filled. He'll give you the words. <clears throat> you know, I, I'm going to give you a real example. You could be praying for Jayesh. Remember Jayesh and his family? An Indian couple who came here for a long time. I'm just laying it out. So I shared, Terry shared the gospel with them. I've shared the gospel with them straight out. And again, my, I pulled over on the side of the road. I said, I got to send them an email. Just with tears in my eyes because my heart was, I just love that family. Shared, prayed, sent an email to him, heartfelt, laying out the gospel, no, and, and saying, I realize what this would do to your family and all these connections, but this is what's happening. And email comes back. I still feel the same as before. Expect rejection. But guess what? Still praying. Long or short, I don't care. I'm going to keep going. That guy, he's gonna, I'm going to go find him. <laughs> keep on loving him, you know? And that's what our heart is. Aren't you thankful the Lord didn't give up on you on the first try? Oh, praise the Lord. Don't give up on people. So, and then the very end of this is just Paul. They said, man, the king arose, went with him, 
and the governor, Bernice, verse 30, that's the king's uh, sister, and those sitting with them, verse 31, and they left the room. They began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. They felt the conviction. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. It's really interesting that these people think they have Paul's life in his hands when actually he had their eternal life in his mouth. Do you know that? You have been given the privilege to share eternal life with people. We don't give it, but God uses us to give it. We are the conduit. And the Lord has called us to deny ourselves to the point, to disassociate with ourselves to the point to where we identify with the cross so much that we're willing to lay down everything and that others might live. <clears throat> Who is the person in your life, in your heart, right now as a Christian that the Lord is, is, is sharing with you to share the gospel with? Raise your hand if you have that person in mind. Amen. What are you going to do about it? That's why the church is dead. Life begets life. We must obey Jesus. We just give it and let him deal with the results. And guess what? You're going to fumble. You're going to blow it with words. You're going to say, say bad things to the high priest like Paul. It's just going to happen. We're a team. We're a body. You hurt, I hurt. You need help. We're here. We've got elders around you. Heck, man, I don't know about you, but I need help in witnessing. I need encouragement. I need wisdom on what to do in a circumstance from you guys, from the word. Amen? So don't feel like... So I just want to encourage you to go be light this week. You are the light. And there's people out there like Festus and, and family members and all that stuff, and you have their eternal destiny in your mouth, and God wants to bless you by sharing that with them. Amen? So go step out. Be it obedient. Don't withdraw from the call. We're all called to it. Lord God, I pray that our testimony would be so powerful because of our changed lives and our obedience to you. And that they, the world would see our love for one another and a lack of hypocrisy or a decreasing hypocrisy and that the world would see it and that you would use that, Lord, that as a testimony and a springboard to be able to share the truth that changed us. And that is you, Lord Jesus. You alone save. Lord, we know that there's nothing good in us, Paul would say. But Lord, you are in us. Your gospel is in us. And I pray that it would go forward from this place in great power, not because we're strong or mighty, but because you are mighty and you are within us. So be glorified this week. May I pray for 10 people, Lord. That's not even much, but 10 people will come to the Lord for, through this fellowship in the coming days, Lord. We ask and we lift them up by name right now, Lord. Just think of those people in your mind and pray their name to the Lord and ask that you give the Lord to give you the strength to go share with them and that you would do it. And Lord, we ask this now and that you would glorify your son as we go out as your disciples and choose to identify at the cross. We love you, Lord. Amen.